Mix in the Dark. Hey, what's up? It's Mai Ying from Mix in the Dark. I am so excited to share this story with you. This story is from a country that we have not heard from yet. I don't know about you, but it is so refreshing for me to hear stories from a culture that is different from mine. This set of stories is called Karen Hill Memories. It has three parts total, and you will need to hear all three parts in order so that you can understand the memories of Karen Hill. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss any of the parts. The stories are from an author who goes by the name of Jubilee. She reached out to me because we share a similar interest in scary stories, of course, and her stories have been published on a website called Your Ghost Stories. She she currently lives in Australia, but these stories are from Singapore. Jubilee included a lot of historical context and words in Hokkien, Malay, and Mandarin, and I dare not try to pronounce these words because I really don't know how to say them with the correct tones. If you follow me on Facebook, I will post the stories so that you can read along, follow along, and learn these new words with me. Just a reminder that I am still taking donations for USB microphones for my podcasting class, which we will be starting in October. Someone asked me what kind of microphone I was looking for. I am looking for starter podcasting microphones that are cardioid or omnidirectional ranging from $30 to $40. They need to be able to stand on their own or come with their own stand. And I'm looking to buy at least 10 of these. Shoutouts to Gabby for making a donation toward the microphone. I so appreciate you thank you if you want to fund this class please connect with me at mixinthedark at gmail.com or find my venmo on the business tab please enjoy the shadow man karen hill brings to my mind the image of a hilltop lined with stone markers or burial cairns it was originally called Carney's Hill, named after Charles Carney, who built the first house in the area, right on the hill within its nutmeg plantation near Orchard Road. Karen Hill Road leads into Orchard Road, which was then, as it is now, the main shopping through fair in Singapore. This area was once filled with nutmeg and pepper farms, spice gardens, and fruit orchards from the 1830s to the mid-1900s. In the late 1960s, Singapore had a quieter pace of life, and buses were the usual mode of transport. Most people could not afford a car in those days, so there was not much traffic on the road. My parents, elder sister, and I were walking along Karen Hill Road after our weekly gathering at Grandma's house. Shadows were crowding in all around us, and the air was sultry, even though it was already dark, about 9pm. A chorus of frogs were croaking from their hidden spots at the side of the road. There was the occasional sleepy chirp from a nightbird nesting in the trees above us. I was the youngest at the time, barely four years old. Having the shortest legs, I soon lagged behind the rest of my family. I did my best to keep up, feeling an odd niggling or discomforting sense of unease. Spurred on by this sense of fear, I put on a spurt of speed and managed to reach my father's side. Clutching at his hand, I kept looking nervously back as we went along. We had walked halfway to the bus stop on Orchard Road by then. My father asked me what was wrong. There's a man following us, Daddy, I told him. What man, he demanded, peering into the shadows. Everyone craned their necks, trying to look behind us. The footpath sat in the shade of the Angsana trees. Shadows piled thickly around the watery light of the few streetlights. I can't see anyone over there, said Mom. 
Being so young, I had the distinct impression that it was a very tall figure. Tall to a little girl, that is. But it is something that looked darker than the other shadows. My chest was now feeling too tight, like a giant hand was squeezing around it. I was so scared that I could barely breathe. It was so frustrating that no one else could see him at all. Overawed, I burst into tears because no one believed me. Even at that young age, I was not in the habit of making up tales to my parents. They were very strict with us and frowned on any fanciful nonsense. Children should be seen and not heard and all that stuff. When in public, we were not allowed to create a scene or do anything that might embarrass them. Dad found my behavior was so far from the norm that he hailed a passing taxi to get us out of there. This was quite a luxury for us, which showed how worried he was about the situation. As we piled into the taxi, my sister tried for a final look from the back seat. She said there could be a man, but it was too dark to be sure. When the taxi driver heard what had upset me, he shook his head at my father and said in Mandarin that Kernhill carried dark memories and the area was unclean. During the Japanese occupation from 1942 to 1945, the military secret police had committed several atrocities in the area. Many of those who perished have been forgotten, their names sadly lost with the passing of time. Their spirits lingered there because they needed their suffering to be acknowledged. In March 1965, McDonald House on Orchard Road was bombed by Indonesia commandos during the Confrontasi, also known as the Indonesia-Malaysia or Borneo Confrontation. A total of 42 bombs were set off, killing three and injuring 33 others. More violence and restless hauntings. Taxi drivers avoided picking up passengers at night along that stretch of road because other drivers had experienced weird happenings in the past. This taxi driver had seen me crying and decided to stop. In stern tones, he advised my father not to let the family be there after dark in the future. We did not talk much on the way home. I did wonder what stories did the taxi driver have about Karen Hill Road, but I was too afraid to ask. We continued to visit Grandma's house in the years to come, but I do not remember any further encounters with a shadow man. Perhaps Dad took precautions after that, staying only for lunch or leaving home at an earlier time. Coincidentally, or maybe not, Grandma's house in Karen Hill had been used as a base for the Japanese military during the occupation. The whole area lay shadowed by dark memories. Grandma's house my grandmother was the undisputed matriarch of the family clan. Born in the Chinese Year of the Dragon, she was a force to be reckoned with and protective of her family. She had not allowed the little ones to be frightened by scary stories. These ghostly accounts only trickled down to the younger generation after she passed away in 1981. Grandma's house in Karen Hill was supposed to be the very first of my narratives, but for a while I was either getting distracted or the words would not come. Finally, I silently asked Grandma for permission to write about the house, assuring her I would do my best to be honest, respectful, and discreet. When I sat down on my laptop that evening, the story began to flow. The time had not been right until then. 
There could be another reason why I was not meant to start any earlier. It had been the ghost month, the seventh month of the lunar calendar. Taoists and Buddhists believe that during this period, the gates of hell are opened for wandering ghosts to visit their families and spend time in the mortal realm. When Grandpa passed away, my father and his brothers left Penang and West Malaysia to be reunited with their mother, sisters, and youngest brother in Singapore. They grew up in the house at Karen Hill, got married, and left one by one to start their own families. Every Sunday, they faithfully returned for lunch with Grandma. Grandma's house was a spacious three-story colonial with white-washed walls and a sloping terracotta roof, complete with an attic and basement. The long, winding driveway snaked past the wide staircase that graced the front of the house. A series of stone steps climbed straight up the foyer, where the floor was tiled in geometric patterns of russet, cream, and dark brown. Stepping past the threshold of the foyer, there would be the dark gleam of wooden teak floors amid an array of white cane furniture. The floors and stairs had a tendency to suddenly creak when the warm day cooled with the onset of twilight. On hot, sticky days, the cream wooden shutters at the tall windows were flung open to catch a breeze. The family believed that Grandma had a special understanding with the spirits in the house. I've wondered if they were lingering souls or elemental entities attached to the land, allowed to stay and coexist with the family as long as not one of us was harmed. All of us accepted that odd things often happened on the property. But the most peculiar aspect of it was that the incidents mainly happened to visitors. Tradesmen seemed to be a favorite target for mischief. Their tools would be mysteriously misplaced, only to turn up later in another room. Little annoyances like that. People tended to look over their shoulders as they worked, complaining that it felt as if many eyes were drilling onto their backs, making sure that they did a good job. Most would depart as quickly as they could after finishing their work. There was one time when an electrician was called in to fix the faulty wiring in the attic. The poor man became dizzy every time he climbed up the ladder to reach the roof cavity, feeling horribly nauseous and had to stop for a while. He was most embarrassed by his condition. I'm healthy, Madam Lin, he said apologetically to my grandmother. Not old man. Never any problems before. Is the air bad up there? Maybe. Grandma cast a sharp glance at the attic ceiling before turning back to the electrician. You'll be fine now, just carry on and finish up, was all she said. He was now able to climb safely up the ladder to finish the last bit of electrical wiring. It was just another weird happening at Grandma's house. My grandmother took in the occasional tenant to supplement the household income. As to be expected, a house of that size was a costly upkeep. But it was not always easy to find the right person for the house. She was fortunate to eventually find a long-term tenant, a quiet gentleman who lived peacefully with them for many years without incident or complaint. For some reason, there were those who did not stay very long. They never really explained what was wrong apart from saying that their sleep was interrupted by odd sounds in the night, or the room simply did not feel comfortable. Then there was Lang, the son of a family friend who wanted somewhere to stay while he studied at a university. My aunts did their best to convince him that the place might not be suitable for him. Unfortunately for him, he was all of 20 and super confident. 
I'm an educated man, Lang declared disdainfully, brushing aside their warnings. Modern men don't believe in ghosts. They dare not cause trouble for me. That was not a particularly wise thing to say, especially when he had no way of knowing who or what might be listening. The very night that Lang moved in, the family heard a whole heap of shouting and thumping from his room. Someone was elected to bang on the door, probably Cousin Ned. At that, everything suddenly fell silent. Alarmed, they persisted in calling out until the young man opened the door. He was greeted by a chorus of worried voices. Lang, what's the matter? Are you okay? Why all the noise? In response to the family's queries, Lang claimed to have slept through the commotion. He insisted he had no idea what the fuss was all about. But in the morning, Lang packed all his bags and told the family he had decided to stay someplace else. Lang never said anything about what happened in the night. Apparently, he did not breathe a word on the matter to his own folks either. Poor Lang had wanted so much to appear the man of the world that he ignored the family's advice. We thought it was fortunate he was not harmed. No one in the family mentioned Lang for many years. Second Aunt Maggie finally recounted the tale to us grandchildren when we were old enough, using a mixture of Hokkien and Singlish, Singapore English. It sounded quite comical to our ears the way she told it. Nonetheless, we had been taught from an early age that just because certain things could not be seen, it did not mean there was nothing there. Lang's experience became a cautionary tale for us. On the importance of showing the proper respect, it was always wise to show respect for other people's beliefs. Talking to the Spirits Grandma owned the Cairnhill Place for over 30 years, except for the brief period when it was used by the Japanese army officers during the occupation from 1942 to 1945. Second Aunt Maggie said that the family had been fortunate they were allowed to safely vacate the premises. In those dark days, there were many occasions where reluctant occupants were forcibly removed, often in a terrible, final way. But it might be that the family received special consideration because of First Aunt Elsie, the oldest and prettiest of Grandma's daughters, the mistress of an army officer. Cousin Ned was her son from that relationship. On approach from Cairnhill Road, the entrance of the sprawling half-acre property was secured by a pair of ornate white metal gates. Thick bamboo groves behind the gates flanked the entrance, rustling and sighing with a passing breeze. The house presided over the place like a grand colonial lady dressed in white, with a garden of her flowing cape, a lush spread of green foliage dotted by color. What we called the garden was a more veritable jungle spreading out on the left of the graveled driveway that led to the house. It overflowed with richly green foliage and shrubs, vibrant with red, pink, white, and yellow tropical flowers. Lush banana plants lined the foot of the garden, providing shade on warm, sunny days. As children, we held kung fu battles among the bamboo forests, where we fought off wicked bandits, carried on heroic missions against enemies, trounced the bloodthirsty barbarian hordes, and saved the empire. When we played nearer the house, the banana plants sheltered us beneath their leafy spread for games of hide-and-seek. Those were the glorious, carefree days. There was no talk of darkness, plenty of food on the table, and the sun kept a cheerful eye on us all day. 
We were allowed to go havoc, screamed, yelled as we pleased, blissfully unaware of any past troubles when we romped in that garden. My grandmother had a formidable strength of personality. Even the spirits that dwelt there seemed to defer to the wishes of our matriarch. Everyone in the family knew not to cross her. For some inexplicable reason, people outside of the family who had a fight with grandma or made her upset in some way tended to have a series of mishaps. The coincidence was uncanny. Special gifts were believed to run in my father's side of the family. They were said to be a legacy from grandmother's own mother who had been a village headwoman in Siam. She officiated over births, deaths, and marriages. She knew the ancient traditions and mystical practices and walked closely with the spirit world. Second on Maggie was a great source of information on all things weird and inexplicable, when grandma was not around, that is. One Sunday afternoon, while grandma was in the kitchen supervising dinner preparations, Aunt Maggie said that she needed to talk to my father. Mild-mannered first Uncle Ken was the eldest in the family. However, everyone took their troubles to my father, the second oldest of the five brothers. No one noticed my young, pointy ears were in the vicinity. My elder sister and cousins were racing around the garden that day. At five and the youngest, I was too short to keep up with them. Frustrated, I had given up and decided to play on my own. Sitting on the wooden floor behind the large living room sofa, I was conveniently out of sight and mind. The odd note in Aunt Maggie's voice made my ears prick up. With the instinctive skill of the naughty and sneaky, I instantly went on the alert. They spoke in a polyglot blend of Hokkien and Singlish, with a smattering of Malay thrown in. My command of Hokkien was just enough so I could follow the gist of the conversation. I hear a ma, or mother, talking in her room at night, confided Aunt Maggie. Listening to the radio, maybe? Dad did not sound overly interested. Morning come? She said she can't remember. I think she's going crazy. Don't be so busybody, said Dad in a chiding tone. A ma is not crazy. Why you not tell Ken? Aunt Maggie persisted. A ma listens to you. I'm not so superstitious. I don't see things like you all. At that point, my listening post was discovered. I was promptly scolded and banished outside to join the others. I only remember this incident years after Dad had passed. When I managed to ask Aunt Maggie about that conversation with my father, she was surprisingly vague. She would only say that Grandma was just talking to spirits. First, Aunt Elsie and her youngest daughter, Sonia, had their own encounters. From memory, my aunt's bedroom was on the second story at the front of the house, where the window with its cream-colored shutters overlooked the garden. My cousin, Sonia, slept in her mother's room when she was very young. When Sonia was about three or four, she was woken up by women's voices coming from the garden below. She padded over the window, wondering who they could be. The moon glowed bright and round in the night sky, shining on a bevy of ethereal Asian women gathered near the banana grove in the garden. They appeared to glide over the ground, singing, laughing, or talking amongst themselves. Fascinated by the scene, Sonia called her mother, but Aunt Elsie hastily shushed her daughter and put her back to bed. Sonia was told not to talk about what she saw. Years later, Aunt Maggie brought up this incident when the family got together for Sunday lunch and were reminiscing about the peculiar happenings at Cairn Hill House. 
By then, Grandma and Aunt Elsie had both passed away. Sonia had settled down in the U.S. with her husband, and the property had been sold years ago. Remember when Sonia saw all the pretty girls, the very beautiful one in the garden? Asked Aunt Maggie. Yeah, it was the banana tree ghost, said Dad with a chuckle. I saw the beautiful one myself, Aunt Maggie announced, with Ama and Elsie. On yet another moonlit night while Aunt Maggie was awake in bed, she heard women talking outside the house. Looking out the window, there was Grandma and Aunt Elsie with a group of women under the banana plants in the garden. The women were rather eerie, too perfectly beautiful to be real. It all seemed bizarre and frightening to Aunt Maggie. At other times, she was sure another cluster of women lingered in the bamboo groves at the gates. They were weeping and wailing, dark tears like blood trailing down their pale cheeks. Despite her curiosity, she felt warned to keep her distance, and so she never ventured downstairs to investigate. The family had many animated discussions concerning these women. As was the family custom, everyone had an opinion and wanted to share it, all at the same time. Many theories and beliefs were put forth. From that night and over the years, I learned a lot about the whole plethora of Chinese, Malay, and Thai folktales, legends, and spiritual beliefs. One in particular resonates with me, a Thai legend about wild banana groves haunted by the gentle Nangtani or Lady of Tani. On full moon nights, these female spirits can be seen floating above the ground near their banana plants. They are said to be protective of women, exacting harsh retribution on the men who have ill-treated them. As a child, I have seen strips of cloth tied around the trunks of banana plants in some gardens. I suspect they could be warnings that the Nangtani might just be around. Taking into account the shadowed history of Cairnhill, my aunt's sighting of the woman in the garden was most significant. Maybe it was the plight of comfort women that had called to some nature elementals. Were there banana tree spirits watching over the mournful spirits of women who lingered there? It was such a dreamlike scene, the garden and the moonlight, the laughing graceful woman under the broad banana leaves, and the sorrowful ones in the bamboo grove. Was it truly my grandmother and Aunt Elsie in the garden talking to them? Perhaps they traveled as they dreamed, their astral projections sharing in some mystical spirit dance? Or could Aunt Maggie have seen their doppelgangers? When I think of that enchanted garden from my childhood, I could almost hear the melodic strains of the Thai folk song, Shiny Moon, plucked on the strings of a Chinese zither or a chorus of lilting voices raised and haunting song, dimly heard in a dream. Thank you for listening to Mix in the Dark. I am your host, Mai Ying. Mix in the Dark is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast series. If you have a story that you would like to share, please send it to mixinthedark at gmail.com. If there's a story that you really enjoyed, feel free to hit up my tip jar on Venmo. Just search Mix in the Dark on the business tab.